Hey, it's Zach. And you know about First Take, but what about First Take? Her Take, a new podcast hosted by Charlie Arnold, Kimberly Martin, and Shanae Agumake. They discuss and debate the biggest sports stories and delve into topics about their lives and culture. You can find First Take, Her Take, wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a beautiful Friday morning in New England, where it's not so beautiful up in the northern part of New England because the 17-time World champion Boston Celtics are under 500, flailing, struggling. There's so much angst in Boston. There's Should Brad Stevens not be the coach anymore? Is Danny Ainge in trouble? Is the sky falling? Do the Celtics actually stink? All the extra draft picks from the Nets trade are gone, and this is all we have. What's going on? To help us all break it down, a man who literally just hung up somehow on Michael Rappaport to do this podcast Boston Celtics legend, former New Jersey net, current Celtics TV analyst, the one and only Brian Scalabrini. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm not as much as the sky is falling as everyone here, but I have been consistent when it comes to this team. I don't think the style of play, it, it, I think when we were 8-3, it's a reflection of exactly what it is right now. But I'm, I'm looking forward to how they respond tonight. Today's Friday. They're playing the Indiana Pacers at home in the garden. And we'll see what they're what they're about. Knowing my podcast luck, they're going to win by like 40 tonight. And this whole podcast is going to sound silly uh, in retrospect. So here's where I am, Scal. Okay. All right. Here, here's where I am. Uh, their four best players have played 28 minutes together the entire season. And I believe all of that happened in one game. Correct. Uh, with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum both on the floor, they're plus seven per 100 possessions. One of those four players is currently injured, Marcus Smart. Another one of those four players has been injured half the season, and for half the season that he has played has looked like a shell of himself, and that's Kemba Walker. They have played 15 games in 26 days, many of them on the road. I'm sure they're gassed. So I am not super-duper concerned. Like you, I was probably a little less exuberant about this team at the beginning of the season than consensus. Like when when, when Hayward walked and they got nothing for him, well, they got a trade exception, Mm -hmm. which is trade exceptions, as you know, don't appear on the floor. They don't take shots or make passes. They're just salary cap arcane stuff. Um, I, I, it's like, they're just, they're just going to miss him. They're too thin at the three and the four. They don't have enough playmaking around their, their main guys. They're going to have to play too many big guys. I didn't think they would quite miss him this much, but I will say, so to me, it's not shocking that they're struggling. It's shocking the depths of it, but I will say you've been on teams before. Like it's easy for me from the outside to say, well, they're injured and the schedule's been bad, but sometimes Things just snowball and the frustration takes hold and you can't quite climb out of it. Like these are human beings. These are not robots. And when you watch them play now, you see sort of a sluggish, frustrated team. And sometimes it's it's harder to, to pull out of that. I think you're saying that basically it's like I'm interested to see how they respond. Yeah. So. Zach, right now, you're, I'm, I'm guessing based on our t- text messages about a week ago, you love Jokic, right? Yes, I do. Okay. And and if you – why I'm do you love him? I'm very interested to see how you're now weaving Jokic. No, right no, I'm just – I'm giving you an example. I'm, I'll, I'll get back to it, right? Like Jokic, probably of any player in the NBA, there's probably 10 guys that do this, but gets guys wide open looks, right? Another, do you love the Utah Jazz and the way they play? You must, right? I enjoy watching them play. Yeah. So, what do you what do you get with the Utah Jazz? You get wide open looks, right? Celtics right now. So, using the formula of you know uh, more wide open looks, six feet or more, they get 
the 27th most amount in the NBA. They shoot top four in the NBA when they are wide open. I My whole thing has always been with this team. Uh, it's wide open shots. And the good teams get wide open shots. Last year in the bubble, they lost to Miami. Why? Miami was a much better passing team. They got better looks than the Celtics. Like We overvalue hard shots like they're worth more points. We overvalue the sidestep, step back against the clock three that a guy makes. Like we think that that shot is worth more. And I, 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 in one sense, I'm not stupid. I do understand that those are very difficult shots to make. But the name of the game nowadays in the no contact NBA, in the you got to drive and make the extra pass, wide open shots is the name of the game. And the Celtics just don't get that many of them. They're 30th in the NBA in hockey assist. There's 103 or so possessions in a game. Zach. They get two hockey assists a game. Two. That's it? Two? That's it. They average two hockey assists a game. Can you, I mean, just wrap your mind around what that is and then put that into the NBA now. Take the players that you like or the teams that you like to watch and then try to manifest the idea of two hockey assists a game. So we're problems of, of emotions and injuries and the bench and trade exceptions and Gordon Hayward – I just think they're just not a good passing team. And I don't think they were good at the beginning of the year. And I don't think they're good now. And until that changes, they're not going to be a good team this year. And it all comes down with getting open shots involved movement. That's interesting because I, th- I think there's been a lot of coverage, and I, and I think it's true, that both Tatum and Brown have improved as playmakers. They've taken the next step as playmakers. Incremental steps, but steps nonetheless. Who do you think is the best passer on the team? Marcus Smart, probably. Me too. Yeah. That, that was going to be my answer. So I think they his playmaking is really underrated, and I think Agreed. they miss it. And they miss Gordon Hayward. Like You don't think of Gordon Hayward as this give him the ball at the top of the arc for 30 pick and rolls a game, but you kick him the ball in that hockey assist situation in the middle of the floor, just any spot on the floor, he's going to make the right play and just add some fluidity to the offense. Correct. And they, I think they really miss that. Like They just have – I don't know – Whose fault it is that, like you mentioned the hockey assists, I didn't know that. They're 28th in assist rate. I think they're 22nd in total passes. It's just really sluggy. Like, sluggy is not even a word. It's just like it's not fun to watch. I don't know whose fault it is because with all these guys missing, and it's not just the injured guys, it's the talent drain that they've undeniably suffered as all these free agents have left. Um, They just don't have, like the guys around Jason and Jalen are basically guys who stand around for three-point shots, or like garbage men like Tristan Thompson. And you've you've been delighted, as have I, by like Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice will three times a game hook up on these fun high lows and all this. But like that's not – if we're talking about a Tristan Thompson-Daniel Tice high-low, it's not really what we should be talking about for like a really functional NBA offense. Yeah, so the way I look at the game, and this is why – and I'm not like – I'm not – like I'm not hard on – on on Tatum and Brown. I'm I'm just trying to point out to people that these elite players, I'm going to throw even Brad Beal in this category. Brad Beal comes off pick and rolls, gets double teams and gets rid of the ball like it's a walk in the park. Jason Tatum comes off double teams, gets trapped and he doesn't want anything to do with the basketball at that point. Like to be good in this league, you got to make threatening plays you got to draw two 
make a simple play. And then that's typically where like the hockey assists come from. And both those guys who are extremely talented, they're already doing the hard stuff. It's just, it's the little stuff that they have to improve on. It's the, it's the get the ball out of a double team and compromise the defense. It's the drawing two and finding the wide open guys. And I know that like in, in Boston at the beginning of the year, I was, I was not like critical. I was saying it's going to take a while for these two guys to become elite players because they haven't faced a hundred different defenses. They haven't faced coming off a double team on a pick and roll. They haven't faced a guy in a soft and had to, you know, read that third defender and hit that corner man. These are all things that they have to face and they got to get good at it. Very similar to an NFL quarterback coming from college. At first, they can throw a simple pass and then they're reading depths of where the safety is and a guy steps forward and they throw a pass over the head. You're like all that stuff takes time and you have to study and you have to read it. And I and I got I got I got killed for saying that. And now I'm saying the same thing and I'm like getting killed for not being like tough enough on them. But it simply is like the Celtics have to find out ways to get better shots. And those two guys are the ones where it starts. They're the head of the snake. They're the ones that draw two. They're the ones that make the plays off of that. And then you get the, you know, Daniel ties to Tristan Thompson high low. But that all comes off of guys like Tatum and Brown. I mean, Kemba looking like himself will help because it just takes so much of the pressure off those two guys. He can run 30 pick and rolls a game and get good shots out of it. But it's interesting you mentioned that about Tatum and Brown, the easy passes. So first of all, we should mention that Jason Tatum is recovering from the coronavirus and has made no bones about the fact that it really has impacted his conditioning. But it is, you know, I write this column every week, the 10 things I like and don't like. And I've I've had this item pending that I just haven't, haven't put in because I don't think it's that interesting. But my favorite Jason Tatum play is just when he gets off the ball early. Like the the passes that aren't fancy at all. He hasn't really drawn a double team. The defense has just kind of started to shade his way. And boom, just kick it to the guy on the wing and let that guy make an easy drive. Like so much of basketball is just that play gets things started and it doesn't even lead to an assist. In fact, it could lead to swing, 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 and the ball ends up back in Jason Tatum's hands Correct. for an easy shot. I just it's it never makes a highlight. It doesn't record any statistics, but just that simple swing, like inside out pass when the defense begins to help, it just triggers so much good stuff. Yeah. So, and I think um, here's a good way to look at it when you're watching, right? There's, I, I use a free throw line as like the moment of truth, right? You, you have to go through and, and, and take, a, take a pencil and just mark them as you go. How many times are Brown and Tatum cracking that free throw line and making a threatening pass. Like, like I can find like Zach, me and you can go play in the NBA right now and we can make those simple plays that are around the perimeter. And I, there, there is a, there is an element of that that you have to have to be good. I understand that. But what I'm really looking for is when they go and they crack the free throw line and the defense comes over, how many threatening pass are being made from that moment? And I will say they're getting more now than they did at the beginning of the season. But that is that is the moment of truth. That is where you start reading guys shifting one way and then you pass opposite and you find, you know, guys wide open. And that's where when you when you get inside that free throw line and you make plays from there, that is where, you know, in the NBA, like I'll hear you people won't be able to see this, but a contest 
here is a make, but a contest there is a miss. In right? my face, yeah. Contest yeah, you're in talking, my face is a miss. You're talking about you know the difference of a, a tenth of a second, and if you can get your players around you a tenth, uh, you know, like a, a quarter of a second more to shoot, like these guys' percentages are going to go up. So that's my only challenge. I don't actually think that our team has all kinds of problems, or they're tuning them out, or they're not doing this, or not doing that. I just don't think we're a very good passing team, which means. All the things you come in that come into play, like the the fatigue, the the games, Jason Tatum with the COVID. If you're not making easy plays, now you got to make hard plays, and hard plays are hard to make over the course of 48 minutes when that when you got all the pressure on your back and and you can't make people around you better. So I would go back to the original of just like simple plays will actually allow you to save some energy for that fourth quarter, allow you to that at that point get into your bag and do what you need to do in the fourth quarter. If you can make the simple plays in the first, you know, 42 minutes of the game. The simplest way that this all manifests itself on the floor, in addition to the hockey assist, which that stat is blowing my mind still. It is. It's they are, they are 28th in shots at the rim. They never get to the rim. And, and I will say, this has been an issue the entire time Brad Stevens has been the coach. Agreed. They never, ever get to the rim. They've never had a rim attacking team. And I don't really know why they like, I think Brad is a really good coach, but like when you watch the Celtics offense with the exception, maybe of the one Isaiah Thomas year, and even that year, the year he was fifth in MVP, they were still like 16th in shots at the rim. There's a lot of East West and not a lot of North South. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know why that is. I don't know if, if he's just kind of letting guys play free and not saying, you know, some coaches are like, like the Jazz, clearly, I mean, oh. the Rockets are the most famous example. Like, we're just shooting half our shots from three. That's it. If you don't take threes, you're out of the game. The Jazz clearly said, we're shooting half our shots from three. That's it. Stop taking these other kinds of shots. Brad clearly doesn't do that. But I, I, I think he's clearly a very good coach. Like, defensively, they're consistently really good. They've figured out something about defending the three-point line in the NBA that probably no other team has figured out. But that is that has been an issue that has dogged them his entire time there. And it just, it just, I don't really get why, honestly. Because your two best players, they, they want to, they want to get into their bag. They want to catch the ball, jab, get into triple threat. And it's just really easy, right? You watch the jazz. All they do is drive clothes out there, shoot threes, right? There's, there's an element that were, when you brought up the jazz and the rockets, the element of that, that you didn't mention is you ever see the, besides James Harden, like eliminate him, right? Like PJ Tucker doesn't get the ball and like start jabbing and like, you know, put the ball on the floor and do the sidestep three. It's either catch and shoot or catch and drive. And when you're driving, all those guys drive with the intent on scoring at the rim. The Celtics don't do that. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not there every day to understand what their individual workouts are like, but all, I mean, Quinn Snyder, all they want to do is shoot the three or deck it and get a layup. And when you can't get a layup, they call that a rim read. When you go up and you're, ah, I'm not going to score this one, and you find another guy, well, guess what that guy is going to do? He's going to deck the ball and try to do the exact same thing. And I don't know, like, if you guys played or I don't know if the listeners have played. Like, that is the worst thing to guard in the NBA is helping out on a drive and running off a shooter and then trying to contain that guy from driving again. So that is the formula for success in the NBA. And if when the teams that do that are the teams that win – I'm not sure that they want to play that way because their two best players do want to get into their quote unquote bag and show their dribble, the step back and all those other things, which I don't think that today's NBA that's conducive to succeeding. I don't.
For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. It is interesting, though, that this week has really been, you know, we saw Danny Ainge do his weekly interview. Wick Grouspeck did the rare governor interview. It does feel like they're circling the wagons a little bit and that this week has been the first time maybe ever that there's been real scrutiny, at least among fans, uh, about Brad Stevens. And even a lot of Danny Ainge grumbling of like, mm-hmm. okay, all the extra picks are gone. One of the picks, I think the the Memphis pick, Crown Jewel, well, became Aaron Neesmith, who's, who's actually, I think, looked pretty good. The sack pick became Romeo Langford, who hasn't played all year. By the way, I, I think Romeo Langford has a chance to be a decent player. It's, oh, it's just, No one is talking about the fact that he hasn't played all year. I think that's hurt their team. Yeah. Um, you know, all the other picks are gone. Kyrie's gone. Gordon's gone. Horford's gone. Another guy people don't talk about because he's old and unsexy and flamed out in Philly could use his playmaking now. Like just talking about the total amount of passing on the team, like could use that a little bit. Um, obviously, the Kyrie thing. I, Wick took some heat for saying, you know, Kyrie threw us for a loop by leaving or kind of threw our plans out of whack. I don't really get why that was so controversial. I mean, their plans were very obvious. We traded Isaiah. By the way, the guy who never makes trades, right? Danny Ainge is just pilloried for never making trades. Did make a trade that was, I think, mostly criticized at the moment he made it. Isaiah Thomas and what became the number eight pick, a Brooklyn pick, for Kyrie Irving. That's a big, big swing. And I think the plan was clearly Kyrie is going to be the reason why Anthony Davis points at this team and says, well, this is a team I'm willing to resign with. Then we throw all our chips in for AD. That's our team. So what Wick was saying, I mean, he didn't mention Anthony Davis. I don't even know if he was thinking about Anthony Davis, but I can tell you that that's what I was thinking of. So they've just had a lot, a lot of talent drain, but it has been interesting to see them circle the wagons a little bit. I don't think, I mean, just me personally, I don't think there's any chance that Brad Stevens is actually in trouble. Do you, do you, what's your, you're there more than I am. Yeah, no, I don't. I think that's so the the radio people here, for whatever reason, I don't I don't get it because like you're a basketball guy. I'm a basketball guy like in a basketball world. And we watch. And by the way, I'm sure that the middle former middle linebacker of the New England Patriots isn't watching NBA games the way that we watch NBA games. Like I think they watch the Celtics. I don't think they watch other teams. I don't think they have any idea. These are still the same guys who are like. Yeah, I like old school basketball where we post up and stuff like that. You know, like they're the ones calling for Brad Stevens to be fired, right? But um, I, I, I will, I, I commend the ownership and Danny Ainge for coming out and and speaking to the media because we've seen it where a lot of these organizations are going down the drain, and next thing you know, you don't hear a peep from 
the uh, the governor, or you don't hear a peep from the uh, you know the the GM slash president. But those guys are coming out and they're and they're you know taking some of the heat off of Brad Stevens. Whether it's I'm sure it's not their heat. It's just like the general heat that's going out there. And I like the fact that those guys have done that. But um, it's not uncommon for those guys to have weekly spots and, and talk yeah, no, about Danny, Danny does every, every week on the yeah. radio show. Yeah. So it does, it does feel a certain way, but I don't think that, I think personally, if what I think Danny is trying to do is I'm thinking he's looking for another ball mover. I think he's, there's no way, I mean, maybe cause I haven't talked to, I haven't spoke to Danny about the hockey assists or the lack of passing over the course of the season, how bad it is right now. There's no way Danny does not see that this team is one of the worst passing teams in the NBA. He has to see that. He's not dumb. He understands like when you watch these guys play, they don't they just don't move the ball that well. So, I think he's out there looking at that trade exception. But let me ask you, Zach, like you're going to take on a 20 million dollar player for this team. You're going to go into the luxury tax for this team. I think the ownership is like we will definitely spend the money and go into the tax if we feel like we have a championship level team. But like I don't know who's out there with this trade exception that you're looking to get, and all of a sudden you're a championship level team. It is. It is interesting. You know, those four guys, like I said, have played 28 minutes together. Well, they carried them almost to the finals last year, and yet it still feels like, ironically, it's Brooklyn. What Brooklyn has done has just passed the Celtics, just lapped the Celtics, and of course yeah. it was Brooklyn that Boston fleeced in one of the all-time great trades. Well, you mentioned the, the trade exception and the luxury tax. I go. I go back. I don't know who they're going to get now, if anybody, but I go back to the opportunity to get Miles Turner that they clearly passed on. Um, and, and maybe they passed on it because they thought, well, if we don't do this trade, ultimately Gordon's going to come back here. Gordon's not going to sign with the Charlotte Hornets. We're going to call his bluff. And they did. And it didn't work out. But I still think like if they thought Miles Turner was really good and would help their team, Miles Turner would be on the Celtics. And Miles Turner's had a, a pretty good year. And you add that up to like, you know, they traded, they got Isaiah Thomas for very little. Then they flip Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie Irving. And at that moment, I I even wrote this. At that moment, it was like one of the greatest rebuilding jobs in the history of professional sports. And since then, all those guys I've mentioned have left, mostly for nothing. All the extra picks, the sack pick, the Memphis pick, which looked like they might be top five picks at the time, um, turned into middling lottery picks and Danny and the Celtics like they have like by the way every other team in the NBA have a so-so record drafting outside the lottery like sure you can go and say well Yabuselli at 16 that's a disaster Olenek at 15 ahead of Giannis or one ahead of Giannis or whatever wouldn't we like to have Desmond Bain and Matisse Tybo you can play that game for any team I, I do think they could be like 10% better over the last five years of drafting in that range but that's that's hard to do, but it does feel like when you froze it at that moment, it was oh my god, they're going to be they've just nailed this to a degree that is almost impossible, and they're going to be good for like fifteen years. And now all this stuff has happened. It's like okay, it's Tatum and Brown, and not as much else as we thought it was going to be. Now Kemba obviously getting injured, his knee issues have been a big part of that, but even so. A lot of franchises would change places for Boston just to have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum sure. under team control for a long time. So I think it's you're you're right. You're looking at these moments in time. And you know, I was I was actually against the Kyrie Irving um 
because I, I didn't think that that was like going to line up at the time. I really liked Isaiah. I, I wasn't sure about the the medical, but you know, that pick would have probably ended up like the Celtics were super high on like Shea Gilgis Alexander and they could have kept like preserved cap space. So the a guy you didn't mention was Terry Rozier and That's he right. would have been a part of the team. So there's like, like those pivots, which like it's, it's, Really interesting in the NBA, Danny Ainge is a wheeler and dealer to try to win a championship. Like you make no bones about it with the Boston Celtics, and they're going to make moves to try to win and win a championship. A lot of teams aren't doing that. A lot of teams would have played it safe. You know, would you want Terry Rozier right now at 17 million when he first gets traded? And think about this: Terry Rozier was here when he left. Everyone's like, we can't pay him that much money. Jalen Brown, when we paid him that, people were like, I can't believe you paid Jalen Brown $23 million. Al Horford and the money he got. Gordon Hayward and the money he got. So now everyone is like begging these guys to stay and we should have paid them. But everyone at the, at the time it's was true. saying like, you can never, you can't pay Al Horford four years down the road. Philadelphia had made that trade and they were stuck with Al Horford and they had to give up a pick just to get him. You know, the, the, the uh, Gordon Hayward deal, like I don't know where you were at, but I was scratching my head like, how does Gordon get 130 million? I was like, that's beyond me. And then, like, I, I was, I kind of underrated like the shift in the NBA. And Zach, you see this happening right now. The NBA is getting smaller at the big position, but it's also getting bigger at mm-hmm. the small position. And that happened. That's happening now, right now. And and guys like Kemba Walker, it's it's not like it's a knock against Kemba Walker, but how hard Kemba Walker has to play to maintain the level in the NBA makes it very difficult for him right now to be out there. But, but with that being said, when Kemba Walker is good, you can see that there's a value for Kemba Walker, but like it's, it is, that's a hard pivot off of the Kyrie Irving uh, trade and then losing Kyrie Irving and then losing Al Horford and then losing Gordon Hayward. Those guys weren't walking for minimum deals. Now they were walking where the Celtic ownership and, and management were like, and we cannot pay these guys this amount of money to keep them. Gordon Hayward is, I mean, he's quote unquote the best player on Charlotte. It's totally different than he's he 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 was our fourth option here. Can't pay your fourth option $30 million. There is a cap that people have to live by. I think what you're expressing is um, you know, the Celtics have really tried to thread the needle of we think we can contend for championships right now, Correct. but without compromising our cap sheet and our future to do it. And I think what we're learning is there's a little bit more of a short-term price to pay if you want to win right now. Like it could be overpaying, like did the Lakers overpay Contavious Caldwell Pope? Maybe, but you know, like no one cares about that when he's the third best player in their team and they win the championship. There's a little short-term pain that they've, I think been maybe a little too reticent to absorb. But again, like, like you said, all those contracts people had sticker shock on. So it's, it's hard to, and the other thing is, you know, Denver's struggling. The Lakers are struggling. Miami is struggling. All the teams that got far in the bubble, I, yeah. is there a direct cause and effect? I don't know. I don't think it's a coincidence. They're all, they're all kind of struggling. But, you know, well, it Zach, is. Don't stop there. Toronto, remember how they started out the year? Like a lot of teams have started out. I, I think the only team I wouldn't put in this category is Brooklyn because they had like all these changes. Like they're not struggling. All those guys are looking great out there. But most of the bubble teams, just take a look at them. They're not like like those teams that made the run are are having a hard time in the, in the short turnaround. But it doesn't mean. Listen, I said it back then. I said it now. Like until the Celtics, like 
the struggling occurs if you're not playing good basketball. Like they're not playing the basketball you need to succeed now. And by the way, Zach, in the playoffs, guess what goes way down the tubes is ball movement because everybody knows what you're doing and everyone's prepared. It does come down to can you go and get a bucket you know, up against that shot clock? And, you know, like, like the Celtics, are the problem with them right now is like they're playing like the playoff-style basketball without the playoff-style effort <laughs> in the regular season. And not, yeah, I was going to say, and not, and not in the playoffs. Yeah, I think the, the Celtics will – they need the all-star break more than almost any team in the league. I think once they get healthy, they will get on a run. Their offense will start to hit a groove a little bit. But you do have to zoom out and and want, start to wonder, is the ceiling for this current group just lower than a lot of people thought? But long term, they still have the two-star wings. But it looks like they're going to have to do more of a retooling around those guys than perhaps they imagined. Um, can I, I need to ask you two old Celtics questions if I have you on the podcast. Are you ready? Well, let's 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 let's. Let's start, like, like close this uh, close Celtic it. thing. Trade exception. Like I, you heard like today, Vic, uh, Victor Oladipo is becoming available. Like there are guys that are becoming available. And it would be interesting with Danny coming out and doing that. I'm sure he's not sitting on, on his hands. But you know who – and no one talks about Romeo Langford. I don't know how much of a fan you are. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Romeo Langford. I think he will make an impact when he when he does return. He, he is exactly – the type of player that they need. Like he's consistent offensively. He has a good feel for the game and he can defend. So we'll see when, when he comes back after the break, Marcus Smart coming back. But I do think Danny will be active with his trade exception. It might not be a $20 million player, but they might, they might just be active without using the trade exception for right now. And the problem is nobody wants to give away players. There's like three teams in the league who want to sell players. Okay. My two old Celtics questions. Number one, a series that I'm always curious about from the 2008 title run, the banner is hanging in your background right now. That Atlanta series in the first round is the most random seven game unexpected series, maybe in modern NBA history. Like that Hawks, that's the Zaza Pachulia, nothing easy. Like they take this 60, this 66 win juggernaut yeah. is all of a sudden being pushed to the limit by a young under 500 Hawks team. So here's my question to you. Game six, game seven, game six, they win in Atlanta. Game seven, you guys blow them out at home. Like, are were you guys scared? Were you guys like, what's what's happening to us? How are we not winning this? Was there was there doubt or was there certainty? Like, if we get games, we're just going to get game seven and move on. So the, the one thing I will tell you is, uh, so Tony Allen is a funny dude. That that squad is a funny squad. Like that, we were we were certifiably crazy, right? <laughs> but going into game seven. I, I, like, this is so great. It's so great that Tony Allen was a voice of reason on the sideline. As we're doing, we're going through shoot around, getting ready for game seven. And everyone is barking at everything. Like, no, we ain't going to do it that way. We're going to do it this way. It was like so uncharacteristic of our team, like, like the edge that we had going into game seven. And, and Tony Allen, who's like a nut, right? He's like, yo, man, y'all need to chill out, man. We got this. <laughs> Like, at that point, I'm like, what is going on here? The one thing that you have to – I think Bibby got traded. Uh, Al Horford is good. Yeah. And Joe Johnson is was better than people. They think, had good players. Right? They had good talent. Yeah. Yeah. They they have good players on that team. They should not have taken us to seven games. We destroyed them every time we played them at home. But you get to the highlight factory – and I don't know for all the fans who've been in Atlanta. Atlanta is like not a great place to play a regular season game, 
But in the playoffs, it is wild. It is absolutely wild. The fans are awesome. In Atlanta, in the playoffs, they're awesome. And so it was a little bit of that. And, uh, you know, like, but I tell you what, the way we kind of needed that series, like, to move on for us. Like, we needed to go seven games with them. And, and we needed, like, to find out, like, like the type of team we are and, and go through some struggle. We had, Zach, we had no trials or tribulations that whole year. Like, we'd lose a game here and there, like, whatever, right? But that we kind of needed that, and that got us super locked in and ready for the Cleveland series. We dealt with some struggles that. They kept double-teaming Ray Allen. And it, it, like, got us ready. And then by the end, and we played the Lakers, I think we were, like, supremely confident. But that Atlanta series was a good growth series for our team. Uh, every last one. Every player or coach who has been on the same team at any moment is Kevin Garnett on this podcast is required to tell me a good Kevin Garnett story. So, so please tell me a good, and it could be rated NC 17. This is a okay. safe space. This is, a fr- this is not a family friendly space. Okay. okay. Any Kevin Garnett story. All right. So, so in, I, I'm not, I think it was 2009 and we're going through the season and we're doing like, I, this team was nuts. Like we would bring boxing gloves and we would box one another. Like it, the team was crazy. <laughs> right. And for whatever reason, we get into arm wrestling and everyone's challenging everyone. And we're, and we bet on every, we bet on free throws. We bet on threes. We bet on shots in the game. We bet on everything like dice games, card games, who could flip the highest number. Like it was just, it was a constant casino. Well, anyways, <laughs> big baby is going through and he is crushing everybody. I mean, Marcus said, Boom. Are you Arm wrestling. Boom. Arm wrestling, right? Crushing people. I think he messed up Eddie House's shoulder, which had a, like a, What is Eddie House even thinking? Just to climb no, me. No, that's, say- that's not how you got to be wired. Like he, he beat me. You got to be wired. You, okay. can't, you can't show at any moment. You can't show any, oh man, I'm not going to arm wrestle him. He'll beat me. No, at no moment, at any point with that team, can you show any weaknesses, right? Like they're like hyenas, man. They just jump all over you, right? You had to. You had to come across as a persona that is like, it's probably not a healthy work environment, but it's great for sports, <laughs> right? So anyway, boom, boom, boom. And now we're on the plane heading back from Toronto and Kevin Garnett's like, come on, Funk, let's do this. And like, I'm sitting there thinking like, you ain't really going to arm wrestle big baby. Like you're going to lose. And like Kevin Garnett had this aura of, I, I, you have to kill me to beat me and everything like that. So as this thing is happening, like there's all these bets going down. Like Paul Pierce, everyone bet, everyone bet, big baby. And Paul Pierce lays down. Uh, I, I think he goes, uh, everyone's like, I got big baby, I got big baby. No one wants to take Kevin Garnett. All of a sudden, P, P comes out with the money. It's like, I got 2000 I got 2000 on ticket. Boom, puts it down. And everyone's like, I'll take it. And then he's like, I, I got 2000 more. Who wants it? I'll take it. So Pierce has like $10,000 on Kevin Garnett on the arm wrestling. <laughs> and I'm like, there is no way. I've seen ba- Big Baby crush Leon Poe, and Leon Poe's strong. He was boom. So the, the um, I guess the story is that Big Baby was always, like, grabbing the table with his opposite hand, and he was, like, lo- using leverage. Oh. So, so Garnett noticed that, and he told Big Baby, you got to keep your – we want to make sure you see your hand. You got to keep your hand up. So I, I, I think they made him, like, lock the opposite hand when they're doing arm wrestling, right? So – 
So anyways, Garnett, they say, oh, Marcus said go. And Garnett's just like, I ain't moving. I ain't moving. Big baby. Was, Ugh. He's like, I'm not moving. I'm not moving. It was sort of like a rope-a-dope, like trying to get him all psyched out. Like, I'm not moving no matter what. He wasn't trying to push him down, but he wasn't just sort of like holding his ground, right? All of a sudden, Big Baby starts sweating. And he's like, <gasps> he starts breathing hard. And Garnett's like, I'm not moving. I'm not moving. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah. Then he starts like, yeah, I got you. Oh, yeah, I got you, Funk. I got you, you big ass motherfucker. I got you. And like a minute into it, he starts moving. He's like, there, you saw it. You saw it. And all of a sudden, he goes like this primal scream. He's like, I got you, motherfucker. Boom. And the plane and everybody's like running around. And then Garnett rips off his shirt and there's season ticket holders. And I, I would love, there was probably like five or six, seven-year-old kids. I would love to hear their version <laughs> of the story. In the back, because that's how it was. Like now, all the players are separate, right? But now it was like players, and then like media, like uh, not media, media members are in the back, and then this group of of kids that are like like season ticket holders and their families that get to go to these games, right? And he takes off his shirt. He's in like the tank top. He's like, "Oh y'all, mother, you better take notice. I'm the silverback gorilla in this mother, and don't none of y'all ever forget it." Ah, he's spitting all over the place, sweating all over the place. Planes going nuts. Paul Pierce is like counting the money up in the air. <laughs> it was the most wild thing you ever seen. Like some, I think the pilot was like, "Congratulations, Kevin Garnett." Like it was like the whole thing was nuts. Anyways, it's a good example of like nothing passes Kevin Garnett. Like he sees all details. He knows everything. He knows where he's at. And it's like you literally have to kill him to beat him. That is his mindset. That is the way he's wired. And he had no business beating Big Baby. But like for him to do that, and, and we all recognize, like it was like him establishing, I am the alpha male in all areas of this thing, with teammates, everything. I have and, two uh, follow-up questions that are very important. Number ahead. one, did Paul Pierce buy anyone anything with his winnings? I should ask what he did. I mean, he won. It, he had it must be he probably he had twenty thousand dollars. So I don't know what he bought. I don't know if he bought tickets something or I don't know what he bought with it. But he was like he was like just like showing everybody. Oh, he picked up all the money. Number two, what is Doc Rivers doing all this? Because oh, betting. Might betting. Oh. betting. He's right there, right next to you. He's, he, he's like, see if I'm Doc Rivers, I'm like my only thought going through my head, and this is the window into yeah. my neurotic sensibility is. I just can't have Kevin Garnett getting like injuring his shoulder no. arm wrestling Glenn Davis. No, no. Every, the coaches were there. Everything. We're, like, you know, the, the, the aisle is narrow. And then you had seats. Yeah, I've been on a plane. Like, I know what a plane yeah, looks like. Yeah, so we're all like, we're like climbing on top of each other. It's just like if the plane had like an unbalancing, like the plane could have just like fell right over. <laughs> like, like I was like up on the top climbing over somebody just to see this. And, and it was like the whole thing was dark. And, you know, the plane lights, like the, table lights the most insane thing coaches were back there like i it, like the team and you ask anybody from the 08 squad and they'll tell you it was like nothing you'll ever experience every single day and it, by the way the next year i'm on the bulls and we're really good like we're really good and because my mind is so messed up from being a part of that team i didn't think that we were championship level because now i associate championship level with being completely up right so now i'm like watch, looking at the bulls and Thibodeau. we're like winning games and we got derrick rose and we got noah we had a good team but i'm like you know what? we're not just we're not 
whipped up enough. I don't think we can win at all. We're just not like, we're just not like, we don't have that crazy factor. Even though I was completely wrong, we could have won it all. But like that team to beat LeBron, to beat these people, to go in LA and beat Kobe and all that stuff, you had to be messed up. I'm glad we gave the Celtics fans something happy to remember. There needs to be a Kevin Garnett documentary and it could be like seven hours long. I don't care. It's coming how long. out. I, I, yeah, it's, something's happening. I'll watch yeah. the whole thing. I don't care how long yeah. it is. I'll watch the whole yeah. thing. He's had a new book out right now and in the documentary, I'm doing some interviews for the documentary. It's like coming out. And, and he's be- a movie star. Yeah, it's a good movie. Uh, all, right. all right, Scout, thanks for your time. Uh, your, your TV work is fantastic. It's always good to see you. Brian Scalabrini, everybody. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts, 122 million for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's demon time on Prize Picks, where you can now win up to 100 times your money. That's right. 100, 100 times, times your money. With as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at Prize Picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, Prize Picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Just download the app today and use code LOW for a first deposit match up to $100. That's code LOW on the Prize Picks app for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. All right, let's welcome in Seattle Kraken fan and friend of the program for our all-star draft, Mr. Kevin Pelton. Kevin, I hope you're doing well. I know you have requested the floor to talk about the end of last night's Nuggets-Wizards game, so please have at it. Analytics does not tell you to try to shoot a three in that situation. I, I think it's fascinating. So I was watching that game live. I flipped over from Pelicans Bucks for the stretch run of that game. And just the level of it was kind of similar to the end of last year's Nuggets Jazz Game 7, where the just a series of things happened where you went, like, what what is happening right now? Uh, the fact that so many wizards crashed the offensive glass with mere seconds remaining in the game, and Denver secures the ball, and you realize all of a sudden they're gonna have a fast break opportunity in this situation down two, no timeout chaos happening and then everyone runs to the three-point line and Jamal Murray draws two defenders to the ball like I I'm with I don't know that Jamal Murray should be throwing his teammates under the bus publicly but I'm with him that it wasn't his fault what happened there he drew two to the ball he did his job there was a clear path for a dunk Michael Porter Jr. could have walked in and dunked the ball and they would have gone to overtime but he went to the three-point line instead and I rewound it several times at no point during that did I think, oh, he did this because analytics tells him to run to the three-point line during transition. 
my first assumption is I tweeted was they thought they were down three and needed a three, kind of the inverse of the Pelicans, who then tried desperately to shoot a two later in the night in a situation that's just, where they that's were just down called, three. That's just called, we just call that a J.R. Smith now. If you don't know the score at the end of the game, that's what it is. To me, it's always going to be a Betty Lennox going back to my WNBA days because she did that in a game I covered. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's probably the ultimate answer is it's just kind of the fog of war, the chaos out there in that situation explains both of them. But please, let's not try to put this on analytics. Analytics tells you, looking at the value of shots tells you, take the certain dunk. Don't try to take the three. No, human beings are so dumb that we have to fight about dumb things all the time. That's just what we do now. We just fight about dumb things. That just has to be the discourse now. Uh, before we draft All-Stars, um, the Nuggets are now 17 and 15. As you said, there was some uh, sniping maybe a little strong, but there was some you know eyebrow-raising comments after the game last night. Uh, how worried are you about the Denver Nuggets who made the conference finals last year and had very, very high expectations and maybe buyers at the trade deadline coming up? Well, here's the thing about the Nuggets is they are slightly behind where they were in 2018, 19, uh, when they lost in the second round in terms of point differential. They're ahead of last season's pace. This is really just all about, I guess last night was emblematic. This is really all about the last couple of years. They have dramatically outperformed what you would expect in their point differential. And this year they are dramatically underperforming what you would expect from it. Now, the 72-game schedule, things may not even out, but I, I would be surprised if they ended up any lower than fifth. I mean, I, which is, I think, where they are now. Uh, or maybe, they, I guess there's a... They're eighth yeah. now. Oh, they're eighth? Okay. Well, the, I would be surprised if they ended up below fifth. Phoenix has been played well enough that I think there's a, a real chance that they hang on to home court advantage in the first round. But I, I think they're probably going to be okay, especially when you consider... Like, they've been rolling out some rough second units the last two weeks here because of injuries. Yeah, I'm not, I, I still am not worried about Denver. I mean, last night they were missing Gary Harris, who, by the way, when you watch how bad their perimeter defense is, you begin to realize again, as you did during the Utah series, just how important it is to have one more competent wing defender who's going to get around screens and make the right plays. It just changes their entire team. So they're missing Gary Harris, Paul Millsap, Jamichael Green. Probably someone else I'm forgetting. Uh, Will Barton has been a shell of himself the entire season. I, I do think they'll be okay, but like the Celtics that I just talked about with Scal, you do reach a point where all these logical reasons begin to be outweighed by the just sort of human dynamics of frustration and not meeting expectations and answering questions from the media about it every day. And it can sort of infect the fabric of the team. And I think the Nuggets who... I have a lot of guys who have had to sacrifice to make that team work. And sometimes like Will Barton will chirp about it now and then in the media. Like I think they're going to need to start winning some games sooner rather than later to just sort of stabilize the internal dynamic. But I do think their defense is still not good enough. Uh, and that's on everybody. They just need to be a little better. But let's not talk about the Nuggets too much because we are going to talk about a Nugget pretty soon um, as we draft All-Stars. Uh, who's picking for who, I don't even know who picks first, LeBron or Durant. I think LeBron picks first since he got the most votes. That's what's happened in the past, although they haven't confirmed that that I've seen. Okay, so look, you're LeBron because I'm a nice person. I'm going to let you pick first. If you, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm going to be Durant, um, and and we're going to pick rapid fire. I'm going to explain my my in crafting my team. I'm not trying to win the game. I'm trying to make the most fun team. That's all I'm trying to do. So these are not rankings. 
when I don't draft Kawhi very high, spoiler alert, I, I love Kawhi. I just I want the most fun all-star team possible. And so that's my criteria. You may have your own criteria. Mr. Pelton, would you like to be on the clock for the first? And we, and we have to draft the eight remaining starters first before we get to any of their reserves. So as much as I might want to pick Zach Levine, number one, I can't. I have to pick the eight starters first, and then we can pick the re- reserves. Uh, we will have some all-star debates as we go. Mr. Pelton, you're on the clock. There is no clock. You're on a fake clock for the number one pick <laughs> in the draft. Well, I'm concerned because the very second you talked about crafting a team for fun instead of to try to win the game was the moment I realized that somehow I had omitted Zion Williamson from my rankings of reserves here. Well, you're not putting together my draft this is board. So dis- this is so disappointing. Just make your first pick. It's trouble. It's much earlier out of here on the West Coast than it is for you. I want to note that in my defense. Uh, so I actually wrote about this when the starters came out and took it way too seriously and looked up players' career performance in the All-Star game oh because I think God. that's a... A meaningful thing. Like, there are some guys clearly who take the All-Star game seriously and some who don't. And a guy who takes the All-Star game seriously was the MVP of it just last year and is also very good at basketball, even if he's not necessarily the leading contender for MVP, is Kawhi Leonard, and that's who I'm taking. Okay, Kawhi's off. So you're LeBron, right? So you have LeBron and Kawhi on the same team. Yeah, I think that's I'm a, a little start. I'm a little intimidated right off the bat. Except I'm Kevin Durant. I'm not intimidated by anyone. I'll just pull up in the finals and drill a three right in your freaking face, LeBron, and win the and win the championship. So Kawhi was ranked last among all of my starters on my fun list. So I don't well, care that's... that you pick Kawhi. You're a sucker. I'm off to a great start. <laughs> I am picking uh uh shock, shockingly to no one, the first pick on my team, Team Durant, will be Nikola Jokic, the most fun player in the NBA. Um and Someone who did not look very engaged. Interestingly, that game, Washington had a layup line last night. And Jokic, I, his defense is just one of those things that the analytics and the eye test are, are far apart on. I meet somewhere in the middle. I think those numbers must be telling me something. Maybe I mean, they're telling me that he gets a lot of steals and he gets a lot of rebounds and those things are helpful. But there were four or five layups last night that the Wizards had where he just didn't move. He was just like, I'm, I'm not... I'm not engaging with this layup. I'm just going to stay here. And also on offense, there were some possessions where I like when he's more selfish. The Nuggets need him to be more, not selfish, just they need him to shoot. They need him to post it. There are some possessions last night where you could tell he was like, I don't, I'm just going to shoot. Like I'm, I'm done passing for a little while. I'm just going to shoot. It, it's just interesting to watch. But his defense, the Nuggets are allowing 70% shooting at the rim. It's the worst mark in the entire league, and he, he's part of that. But I don't care if he allows 100% shooting at the rim in the All-Star game. He's going to throw 19 passes that made me leap from my chair and get everybody on my team dunked. So that's Nikola Jokic. Yeah, room protection is admittedly pretty low on my list of priorities for the All-Star game as well here. As someone who's trying to win, even let alone the, uh, the entertainment side of it. I mean, Jokic is like Kevin Love, I've always thought, in terms of the things they are bad at defensively are the things that are the most obvious watching and the things that they are good at defensively tend to be a little more subtle. And I can see how that would be frustrating as a teammate as well as as an observer. Well, and he's got no help last night from Monty Morris, um, Jamal Murray, Will Barton, just smacking into every pick and falling seven feet behind ball handlers and leaving him on, on an island where he's he's not going to survive on an island like Tom Hanks and Castaway. He's going to just allow layups and that's it. Okay. Make your next pick. Uh, I'm going with Kyrie here. Uh, he, he also has a strong all-star track record, has been an MVP in the past. 
Uh, you know, I don't know about if we get into the last five minutes, his defense his size is maybe a little bit of a concern there. But there's also the the nice sentimentality of any time LeBron and Kyrie get together. And LeBron has picked Kyrie every time he's had the opportunity since there's been an all-star draft. Okay, well, that leaves me as Kevin Durant. I'm going to have a nice moment. And I'm going to pick my teammate on two championship teams. And another one of the most fun players to watch, Stephen Curry, is going to be on Team Durant. So I've got Durant... Jokic and Curry. I'm on the fun rankings. I'm blowing you away, even though you have LeBron, Kyrie, and Kawhi. I, I like my team. I like my team so far. I, 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 and Steph and KD get to get to team up in crunch time. I can run a Curry Durant pick and roll. That's what I'm calling Pelton. Deal with that. Make you're your just, pick. Your your ten things column from that entire period springs to life. I mean, Steph was at the very bottom of my rankings because you want to talk about somebody who does not take the All Star game seriously and has been extremely bad in them over the course of his career. It's Steph Curry. I'm calling you out, Steph. I, I, we're I getting for the All Star game. I I did not do any research on All Star game performances. Uh, we're, we might have to have a pregame shoot around. We might have to have a shoot around then to address. He might, I might have to bring him off the bench. I might have to make a coaching change and bring him off the bench. It's not allowed, but I might have to do that. At this point, I am going to go with Giannis. I think it's between Giannis and Embiid for me. Uh, Get some legitimate size here to go along with with my LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard forward duo. That was going to be my pick, but you know what? I'm I'm next. Uh, I am going to take Joel Embiid. Do I care that I have Nikola Jokic? I don't. Am I going to play the two of them, maybe the entire game together, just to see what happens? Yeah, I'm going to do that. They will get post-up opportunities. They will run pick and rolls together. They will shoot threes. They will run a two-on-one fast break. I'm going all in on fun. And I get the best trash talker in the entire league. And a guy, by the way, who took the game seriously last year and was dominating portions of it uh, when they were all trying in the fourth quarter because of the Elam ending. So I'm happily taking Joel Embiid. Good luck guarding my double post-up throwback attack. Yeah, we are a little light on sides, certainly. We're going we're gonna to be relying on shooting. Uh, so that leaves us with Luka Doncic and, and Bradley Beal as the last two starters here. I mean, Luka's... Disrespectful, clearly... disrespectful. We've disrespected them. Well, they've, yeah. been, they've been disrespected. Or if we're going to disres- seriously disrespect some people with the reserves, I suppose. Uh, despite the fact that I think that Luca is probably the better basketball player of these two in a vacuum, I think I'm going to go Beal because I just want another shooter. I've got plenty of ball handling already. Uh, I'll take Luca. I mean, I, was, I have to take Luca. I'm mandated <laughs> yes. to take Luca. I was also going to take Beal over Luca. Beal feels like a more fun all star player. I'm not that interested in watching Luca. I mean, he's an, he's an absolute savant as a passer and a playmaker. He's an MVP candidate. He, he makes passes that really no one else in the league, I think, including LeBron, makes. Now, LeBron makes passes that other people don't make. Um, I just don't really want to watch like a parade of step-back threes that are not taken by Stephen Curry uh, in, in the All-Star game. So I, I had Luka... I had Luca below them, but but I'll 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 put him on my team. I so I've got my starting five is Curry, Luca, Embiid, Durant, Jokic. I'm happy with that. And I've got Kyrie and Beal in the backcourt, LeBron and Kawhi at forward. Giannis is my nominal center since you took both the yeah. Our defense, ones. we're gonna have some issues defensively. I might have to yeah. Well, it's fine. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> um, okay, uh, so I guess I just picked Luca, right? So you get to pick the first reserve. I mean, I think this is probably similar to how it will actually go. But I'm already, I'm already crossing off the name. I know who you're going to pick. 
I'm already somebody got my purple magic marker. It's being crossed off. Somebody takes all-star games more seriously than anyone. Takes everything more seriously than anyone. Probably will flop to draw fouls during an all-star game. Chris Paul is my number one pick. So I had him initially very low because... It feels like the students drafting the principal to play like a flag football game or something. Like, I just don't want to hang out with that guy off the floor when it's party time because he's going to tattle on me when my jersey's untucked. He's going to, you know, who knows what else he's going to do. But then I remembered there is all-star Chris Paul. And that is one of the most fun things about the all-star game is he sheds his like over. He takes it. He still wants to win, but he sheds his like methodical over seriousness calculated persona and like busts out all the tricky dribble moves tries to humiliate people he dunked last year in the all-star game remember that he caught an alley-oop and dunked and everyone was like chris paul can still dunk chris paul all-star version of chris paul is so much fun i had him actually fourth out of my 14 or what is it yeah 14 reserves um and uh but uh, you've stolen him from me and you now are probably going to win the game with Chris Paul and LeBron James taking it very seriously. Um, I will pick the name I initially thought you were going to pick. I'm just going to pick Zion Williamson because I'm team fun. I'm now at risk of having too many fun players whose fun is going to bring up a law of diminishing returns so they can't have as much fun. But how can you not? I can't believe you just blew this by not picking Zion first. (laughs) Uh, he was a little bit lower in my ranks, but I think, you know, having him on the receiving end of lobs from players in the All-Star game is going to be tremendously fun. And I, I do think, look, we should take this serious. I, I kind of think we should say, like, pick an All-Star team that's the 12 best players and then pick an All-Star team that's the 12 players who are the most fun on each conference and let those guys actually play in the game. So Chris Paul is like someone I thought felt was about Jason Kidd at the end of his career. The all-star game is just better with him in it, even if he's not necessarily one of the 12 best players in his conference by that point. And that's probably already true about Zion, even though he's now become deserving, I think as well. You're this bulletin board material for my team here. Uh, <laughs> bad mouthing Zion like this. What, how do you rate, um, Obviously, Point Zion has been a revelation in the last three weeks. How do you rate? Um, I haven't checked the numbers recently, the advanced numbers. How do you rate Zion's defense? Like, what's his weak spots on defense? Where where are we on Zion's defense? Well, you know, the good news I wrote about this the other day is his block rate has doubled from his rookie season. That's encouraging. We're seeing more there. We're not seeing the steal rate that we saw from him at Duke. I mean, the th- the thing that stands out watching him play is there's just moments where. He's on the weak side and something will happen where he should be helping and he he just remains where he is. And I, I don't think it's a physical limitation. I do think there are some physical limitations in terms of his ability to really quickly change directions on the perimeter. But I, I think that's just a lack of attentiveness defensively. Yeah, I think. I mean, we all know that he has not been great defensively, you know, his mobility and attention and effort come and go. Some of that will improve as he, you know, both learns the rhythms of the NBA and decides to really dial in. I just think interestingly, long term is like, can he? How often can he play center? I mean, they've they've clearly decided we're just not going to do that this year because we have Stephen Adams and we have Jackson Hayes and now Willie Hernan Gomez is playing. But um, you know, and they're trying to win. They're trying to make the playoffs. But I think long term, that's an interesting an interesting question. Okay, uh, you you get to pick. If you blow this one, I'm laughing you right off the podcast. 
That's interesting. I'm, I'm not sure who you, you uh, think is the obvious pick here, but uh, I was going to take James Harden. He was second on my list. But then I, it occurred to me that the idea of a Chris Paul, James Harden backcourt reuniting them may not be the best idea. It may not no, be it is the best good. idea. It's the best idea. You should take <laughs> him for that reason. Will they pass to each other? Will they be cranky? Uh, so I'm going to take Paul George and uh, continue to load up on two-way wings. You're taking this way too seriously. Paul George was like 10th in my reserve. I just <laughs> happily crossed him off. So you just gifted me to review Zion Williamson. And now the number one reserve on my entire list of fun guys I want on my team, Zach Levine, is off the board for you. So I'm just, and I I don't even need to explain that. Zach Levine, (laughs) I think Vince Carter is the best dunker in the history of the NBA. Zach Levine is right there. And his, his dunk contest performance, absolutely, his performance is plural, absolutely rivaled. Vince Carter prime dunk performances. And that's all I'm drafting him for. I don't care about anything else. I just want Zach Levine to dunk 10 times in the All-Star game with style. I mean, obviously the All-Star game is much closer to a dunk contest situation. The one thing is, is there a really memorable Zach Levine in-game dunk that I'm missing? Because I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I'm sure, I mean, just when he has a runway on a fast break, you know it's going to look awesome. But yeah, in terms of on somebody, the way Anthony Edwards just murdered Yuta Wananabe on live television, I don't recall one like that. Where were you by the end on should Zach Levine actually make the All-Star team? I, I mean, I think that in terms of performance this season, he's probably in a similar ballpark to some of the guys who didn't make it, with the exception of Jimmy Butler, who I, I think clearly... You know, we're going to look back on this, assuming he stays healthy in the second half, and wonder why wasn't Jimmy Butler an all-star just because of the fact that he happened to miss an extended period because during this unprecedented pandemic season. Like, he's been the best performer of this group this season. He has the best track record of this group. He looked like a top-10 player last year in the playoffs. I, I think it's going to be pretty clear that he should have been an all-star. I think the more interesting case is probably more like him versus Middleton, you know, that group of players versus Middleton, who's someone who's been performing at a relatively similar level to them this season, but also has an all-star track record. And Middleton is a one, a two-time all-star or a a one-time all-star? I think two-time. Yeah, I left Middleton off in the end, and I was actually surprised that the coaches did the same thing. I thought he would just sort of make it by just he plays for the Bucks, put him on. It would look, it was a hard decision. I love Chris. I wrote a big, long profile of Chris a couple years ago. He's, again, at 50, 40, 90. And I saw some Bucks fans, you know, angsty Bucks fans saying, well, he's been better than he was in his last All-Star season. How did he not make the All-Star team? That doesn't make any logical sense. Well, James Harden plays in the East now. Kevin Durant plays in the East now. And a lot of these other guys who are number one options, which Chris Middleton is not, although he plays very well when, with Giannis on the bench. Now, that's against a lot of opposing backups, so read into it what you will. But, you know, I saw a lot of scoffing at what Julius Randle has done this year. The Knicks are mediocre. They're making their bones on defense. I, I just don't think you can scoff at 23, 12, and 5.5 and on good shooting with that level of offensive talent around him and the responsibility. I think that's a legitimately really good season and I have never once watched the Knicks this year and thought well Julius Randle is just putting up empty stats on a bad team I think that's a real thing and so I just felt given the fact that Chris Middleton really went into a weird slump when Drew Holiday 
who was arguably the second best player on the Bucks before his coronavirus protocols thing. I just thought I'm going to, you know, we're all splitting hairs. All these guys are awesome. They're all deserving. I'm just going to reward the guys who have the larger responsibility to their teams, whether their teams are worse or better than the Bucks. I don't particularly care. So that was my reasoning. Um, I, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, I've seen a few people suggest that given the number of deserving players that didn't make the All-Star game this year, that's a justification for increasing the rosters, which I am in favor of. I mean, we have 13 players on game day rosters in typical seasons. This year, it's 15 because, again, this is an unusual season during a pandemic. So the fact that we've kept the All-Star rosters at 12 throughout all of this roster expansion is kind of strange to me. But if you think that's going to make it better in terms of this, you know, outcry over snubs that has become an annual tradition like the the lower you go the more similar these places players cases are going to be the less separation there will be between them it is actually going to make it worse if we expand the rosters make your pick okay uh, i am going with damian lillard who i think is very fun so I'm, I'm a little surprised that he's not higher on your rankings He's not all-star fun, though. Yeah. I guess, I mean, he's not going to go, maybe he will go on these crazy damn streaks where he just makes eight 30-footers in a row. I didn't have him very high. You're drafting a real basketball team. (laughs) I'm drafting a circus act to entertain the fans. And I am going to win the hearts and minds, even if my team loses by 20. I will come out the winner when we have the VIP reception after the game. Everyone's going to be coming up to me with free drinks and toasting me. And you can take your W and and go away. Um, Now it gets a little hard. James Harden is the obvious pick here. He's a showman. He's one of the best passers in the league, as he's reminded us in Brooklyn. I am going to take, though, and I'm going to put on a Mike Conley jersey as I make the pick, just out of sympathy. I'm going to take someone who I just think wants to come in and get buckets and get buckets in an old school stylish way and a new school three-point bomber way. I'm going to take Devin Booker. And I'm now that you've picked Chris Paul, I get to pit them against each other. That's kind of fun. I'm going to take Book. I like Book. And this will allow me uh, a moment here to uh, address the snub culture, as you just did. Like... This whole Devin Booker, LeBron tweeted it. Devin Booker is the most disrespected player in the NBA. Okay, well, the coaches made the decision. So they're the ones doing the disrespecting. Second of all, I didn't have Devin Booker on my 12-man all-star roster. And I love Devin Booker. I've been a Devin Booker stockholder for a long time. LeBron should be required to tweet, and this would be an actual act of disrespect, who he thinks should come off the all-star team to put the disrespected Devin Booker Onto the all-star team. Now, Anthony Davis's injury would have given him perhaps an easy out this year. But I just, there again, we seem to lose touch with not advanced math, not math, counting. We seem to lose touch with counting. My daughter can count way past 100. We get to all-star snub season. People can't count to 12. They can't count to 13. You get 12. Who are you taking off? But I am putting Devin Booker. I'm making him my third reserve pick, and he's just going to run off screens, get buckets, take some stylish mid-rangers. I'm excited to have Devin Booker on my team. You go. Our colleague Bobby Marks did, I believe, literally tweet this to to uh, LeBron, who he, who he should replace. So uh, uh, kudos to Bobby for uh, taking that quite seriously. I don't think rattling, he's going to reply. Rattling the king's throne. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to take Jason Tatum here. Uh, you know, when you get into that close game scenario, you probably can't have enough two-way wings. That's 
the, the, the most scarce resource in the NBA. So even though he's not having anywhere close to the best season of this group, I, I still have him as a top of my board. Listen and I'm daring to you, you to pick James Harden. You're thinking about crunch time. You're thinking about, I guess I have to try to win now. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip the guy that I really want to pick because I don't think you're going to pick him. And I'm going to pick James Harden just because he's James Harden. And, and I should give some token attention to trying to win the game. Um, and I get to, I have a wild team now. Harden and Durant get reunited from Oklahoma City and now Brooklyn. I've got two centers. I've got Harden and Curry, playoff rivals. I've got lots of, Harden gets to throw lobs to Levine and Zion. I'm excited about my team. So James Harden, I feel like that's a game-changing pick for me. I've just tilted the balance of power a little bit. Although maybe you could have waited a long time to get him because I don't know if I was going to take Harden uh, and, and pair him with CP3 at any point. Uh, I am going to, I have, I have neglected the center position thus far, which is maybe consistent with some of my analysis, you might say. Uh, And even though I I think I need someone to finish lobs, so I'm going to take Rudy Gobert and hope that he gets a bunch of... I was going to say it. It's banned on this show. I was going to make that joke, but I forgot that the term is banned on this show. Yeah, well, he's a legal straight Um. He was last. No disrespect to Rudy. He was last on my reserve list. But even though, I, as I've said, I am entertained by the guy who tries to play real basketball during the All-Star game. And so now you have him and Rudy Gobert is going to be setting picks and getting on people about, you know, making sure their defensive assignments are on point, trying to block shots at the rim. So and, and by the way, if he really tries to block shots at the rim, that's exciting. That makes for some exciting moments. But I was not going to pick Rudy. So you can have Rudy Gobert. Um, he was. He would not be last on my fun rankings, with he, all due respect. To he some leads of these the league in dunks, right? So it's hard to. I yeah. guess. I guess. I bet we have the same guy last in our. Well, the same. My my second to last guy. I bet is your last guy. Um, I am going to very happily take. I'm going to take a moment to appreciate this and savor this moment. Team Low slash Team. Who am I? Durant. Team Durant <laughs> is is taking. After years and years of suffering and waiting, navigating the pestilence and, and, and famine, we're taking Julius Randle on, our, on Team Durant, and we're just going to let him play point, point whatever. Get a rebound, be that bowling ball running up and down the floor, spray out passes to everybody, hit people, just be Julius Randle. We're thrilled to have you on our team. And by the way, again, I think it's it was I picked him for my real or my fake real twelve man roster, and you know I think his defense has been a little better this year. I don't know how he rates by our stuff. I, I think his his defensive numbers have been okay. He's he's in shape, and I've just been more impressed by this guy that was so wild at times with the ball, and so shoot first that he would just run into four guys and and everybody would fall over and it'd be a turnover. He's making the right play. Every single time almost for the Knicks this year. The right kickout pass, unselfish plays. And I think he's a totally deserving all-star. I'm happy to have him on Team Durant. I think you've undermined your own strategy because with all due respect to Julius Randle's, the funness of him in a regular basketball game, I don't feel like it translates in the all-star game. Fine. Bulletin board material. Go ahead. There's an I, I think there's an obvious pick for you here, but I'm, I'm, you go ahead. Well, you've left an extremely fun player on the board, and someone needs to be throwing some of these alley-oops to Rudy Gobert that Chris Paul and Damian Lillard don't, and that's Ben Simmons. Ooh! Plot twist. Um, you think I, it's going I, Mitchell? 
I thought you were going with Donovan Mitchell, who I will now take uh, with the following pick because I think he's a very, very fun player, powerful dunker, uh, takes a lot of difficult kind of twisting, floating shots that should make for some fun all-star uh, material. Ben Simmons, he is a he is in this setting, I think, a, an entertaining player. Defense, just pace, 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 kicking out the shooters. I just want everybody on my team to be able to shoot. That's all. It's odd that I ended up with uh, lighter on shooting. Uh, I'm going to take Jalen Brown here. Uh, I'm a little surprised. I guess he's he's not a very fun all-star player, but I'm a little surprised he didn't go earlier. No, he was second to last on my, or third to last on my list. There's just nothing. I mean, I love Jalen Brown. He's a totally deserving all-star. He's made a leap as a player. He's a great, great basketball player. I just never, when it's when it, when it, when the Celtics come up on my you know wheel of games to watch on that particular night, I never sit down like, man, I can't wait to see what what Jalen Brown has in store tonight. Um, I just I might as well ask you since I just had Scal, what's your concern level about the Celtics? Moderate. I mean, I think that. The, the good news is they are going to be relatively easy to add. It's going to be relatively easy for them to add help at the trade deadline because of the fact that they've got this strong core and what they need is, you know, some depth to complement that. So I, I think they're going to be a better team in a month than they are right now. And, but they're going to have a hard time. You know, I think the, the chances of them winning a playoff series are not as good as I thought they were coming into the season. This is not a fair question to ask you. Maybe it is. I don't know. This is your job. In the end, zooming out from the Brooklyn trade until now, is it a success? Do they have enough going forward? I mean, it's interesting. They they have the hardest parts done in terms of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, two guys at positions of need who are young, who are going to be there for an extended period of time. And it should be relatively easy to find the right players to put around them at some point. And obviously they have gotten to the conference finals several times here, even though I don't know if they were ever a real legit championship threat in, in any of those appearances. But I I still think there's time for it to be a success. I would say if if the getting to the conference finals ends up the high point, then probably not. I won't belabor with the response because we talked about it with Scal. I will say that, you know, to bring up Tatum and Brown, you know, people are hammering Danny's, Danny Ainge's draft track record, and, and Scal and I discuss that a little bit, and I think in some ways that's fair and in some ways it's not. And one of the ways it's not fair is in all the focus on Yabuselli at 16 and, you know, Olinick and James Young. My guy R.J. Hunter. R.J. Hunter. You sort of like just scoff right over because they've been such clear hits that Jalen Brown at three was not a consensus pick. And the Jason Tatum, Markel Fultz thing was not a consensus move at all at the time. And to nail those bold strokes at the top, five years later, you look at it and say, oh yeah, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, yeah, top picks. That's of course, they're great. They're great outcomes for number three, blah, 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 blah. Like those are franchise changing decisions and yes as Scal and I talked about some of the stuff that's happened since they acquired Irving has gone sideways but just remember when you're nitpicking Danny Ainge's draft record those picks are part of it and they were considered bold and at at least slightly out of the box moves depending on who you talk to at the time 
<laughs> yeah, and given the alternative with uh, Jalen Brown was probably Drogan Bender, then uh, you know I think that they've there are ways that things could have gone much, much worse. And I think this is consistent with something the research shows is there's not really any pick-to-pick consistency in terms of, well, this team is good at drafting and this team is bad at drafting. That whatever ability that you do have to predict the future about a player who's probably 19 years old is swamped by just the randomness of the outcome for any individual player. So that leaves me with what... I, I believe is the DeMontis Sabonis Memorial last pick of the all-star draft. And I take Nikola Vucevic, which isn't an ideal fit for my team since I have the two best centers in the NBA already. But you better believe we're putting all three of them on the floor for a few minutes here and there. And look, maybe we'll play some point Vooch. Who knows? But um, someone has to be the last pick. I understand why it's Vucevic. He's a good passer. He'll throw some nice passes. Doesn't dunk much. I'd like to see. Maybe I can get a couple of Vooch dunks. Maybe we'll get like a Vooch 1-on-0 fast break and the crowd will come to their feet wondering what's going to happen. Um, so I've, I, 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 I would like to see our teams play. I have Durant, Jokic, Curry, Embiid, Luka as my starters. Zion and Levine off the bench. I mean, forget about it. I don't know how you let that happen. Booker, Harden, Randall, Mitchell, Vucevic. I'm happy with that. I, I'm, I've come away. I wanted Jokic. I was very worried you were going to take Jokic first. I wanted Jokic, Embiid, and Curry and one of Zion and Levine. And I got all of them. Appropriately, you ended up with all the players from the Balkan region as well. Like oh, did I really? I got Jokic yeah. and Vucevic. And Doncic. And Luka. Uh. Oh, I can, t- I can talk to them a little bit in their language. And we can swear and stuff and have some rakia. And, and oh, that's, that's a happy accident, Mr. Pelton. Uh, and and uh, so I don't even know when the All-Star game is, but it's coming up pretty, pretty soon. And they'll use the Elam ending again. Were there any other thoughts you wanted to get in? I know you had a Chris Middleton take of some kind, or did we already hit that? I think we pretty much hit it, okay. yeah. Uh, what else do we have from you? You have your Zion column that was up yesterday. We have your mailbag today, right, which is always interesting. And you get into something that you and I were talking about privately, which is sometimes I don't know what to do with these players where – all the advanced stats are all over the place and why that is. It's always an interesting column, that mailbag. You always have a few topics. Anything else that coming up that we want to talk about? I just want to say that, you know, your team may have more fun, but I'm, I'm confident my team is going to win when we play this imaginary game. Can we simulate this somehow? Can someone, can, is there a way to simulate this on like NBA 2K for people who have video games? And like, I don't, is there a way we can play this out? I'm confident that there is a way, yeah. Somebody listening... Look, I'm 43 years old. I don't know how to do anything. Someone listening, play this out in a seven-game I don't know, seven game series. I don't know if you can do that. But just play it out once and tell me who wins. That's all. All right, Kevin Pelton. They read everything he does at Insider. He's just a machine of quality content. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.